You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. We're brought to you by You Can't Make This Up, a new podcast from Netflix. It takes a look behind the scenes of the documentaries and true stories that everyone's talking about, <laughs> including Making a Murderer, Wild Wild Country, <laughs> Evil Genius, Amanda Knox, and the Academy Award winning film Icarus. What does that sound like? Uh, join podcasters, <laughs> journalists, and comedians as they chat with creators and get an exclusive look inside their process, explore the stories they left out, and find answers to your burning questions. Mm. You Can't Make This Up, available on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and your preferred podcast destination. Listen, subscribe, and review now. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about serial, true crime, pop culture. And this week, we'll talk about Serial's Episode 7, Snowball Effect. Plus, we'll talk about another chart-topping podcast, Gladiator, from Wondery, about the Aaron Hernandez case and the very evil New England Patriots. Hey, now. (laughs) You don't know that's going to go evil. (laughs) Joining me to get that done, and a whole lot more, is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and real life quarterback to my tight end Kevin Flint. Hello Kevin. Oh my god, you mean that's so dirty. (laughs) (laughs) As long as you're not a wide receiver. Let's be real. It is not that tight anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. It's because you were a wide receiver. Oh, okay. Yuck. Also with us (laughs) is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and Tupperware party hostess failure, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yeah, I had uh, three folks show up for my Tupperware party <laughs> last oh. Sunday, and uh, one was uh, my neighbor and super fan, Kathleen. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, that's probably the only reason that I was able to talk her into coming. Um, so, yeah, but I've been pitching the wine openers all week and getting a few hooks. So I think my MLM career is over. Yeah. So when you have th- uh, throw one of those Tupperware parties and three people show up, do you even get like a free lid? <laughs> well, <laughs> I got two little bowls, <laughs> small snack size bowls. <laughs> You know, in a pretty pink color, actually cranberry for Thanksgiving. And then we decided to make it an online party for the rest of the week so that I could maybe get something out of the deal. Yeah, you know, for this. the cost of the Jello parfait and cold cuts wrapped in cream cheese that you put out, you could have gotten the same thing from Ziploc. And they're disposable. You don't have to wash them out. But they don't have the stain guard technology, Kevin. Uh, that's it's patented. It's patented. <laughs> the idea of Laura Bricker failing at something for me is just so freaking funny. Oh my god! Because she's just like knocks it. She knocks everything out of the park. She's basically the detective Roxanne of life, and she <laughs> knocks everything out of the park except Tupperware. for Tupperware parties. Yeah. <laughs> now to the brown paper bag part of our panel. <laughs> But I have to tell you that my Tupperware party sounded just like that podcast because everybody was like, 
I remember my mom having Tupperware parties in the 70s. This is so nostalgic for me. I used to help her as a little kid. I'm like, did you wear three pairs of nylons? No. <laughs> Will you buy something and shut up? <laughs> Fill out this form, for God's sakes. Well, I had a strategy because they have a new wine opener. And so I was like, let's try the wine opener again. And so I kept, we kept opening more wine. I thought that might like kind of take people's barriers to purchasing them, but it didn't. Listen, do we agree that Tupperware is never going to sponsor this podcast? We we are. You sent we will me the agree video. though they're litigious too. <laughs> you sent me the video of that wine opener. That's like an eighteen step process, Laura Brickard, over oh. the goddamn bottle of wine. Compared to the one I had to put between my knees and hop around the kitchen with, this was an improvement. Oh, God. What Patreon level is that? Oh, all right. Laura will throw a Tupperware party at your house for seven dollars a month. <laughs> And also with us is the brown paper bag portion of the panel. <laughs> Our captain of woke cynicism, the brilliant author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our very own Patreon book club podcast commander, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. You got that out. Laura, you guys are demonstrating things to see if they burp when they open. The whole thing. <laughs> we didn't do that. We just demonstrated the wine opener. All right. Yeah, I bet you demonstrated. <laughs> I did. I you know what? They don't have a wine closer. <laughs> well, they had, they did. They had a wine vacuum thing yeah. so that your wine would stay fresh. And I was like, like, really? That is well, not an issue in our house. That. Yeah. They also have that at Bed Bath and Beyond, by the way. <laughs> you don't need to have a fucking party at your house to get that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I do want to do one uh, quick piece of business before we start the show. Uh, as we heard at the end of this week's episode of Serial, episode seven, they are taking a week off next week. Mm-hmm. Which is actually, coincidentally, super good for us, because next week we're going to be talking about all the episodes of season two of Making a Murderer. Ah. And to be real, I was kind of wondering how we were going to fit that in half of a show. So thank you, Sarah Koenig and crew. Uh, It's almost like we're working together on this. So that's homework for everybody. Get that done. It's not homework. I'm sure most people are already watching it. But next week we are going to be talking about Kathleen Zellner's Amazing Jackets. (laughs) And the second season of Making a Murderer 2, in that order. The All whole right. first half is going to be about Kathleen Zellner's wardrobe. Okay. Just warning you, and her caps. Just warning you guys. So I should and log where... in at like 8.30? Is that the idea? <laughs> well, also, where does she get the blood? That needs to be on the list, too. Oh. <laughs> she gets it from a lab. She said that. Most oh, important, where did she buy like a 1999 Toyota RAV4? Oh, <laughs> anyway, we will talk about this all next week. All right. It's going to be pretty, pretty exciting. All right, so uh, shall we actually do our jobs and get into this podcast? Yeah, hit the button. From This American Life in WBEZ Chicago, it's Serial. One courthouse told week by week. I'm Sarah Koenig. On this week's episode of Serial Snowball Effect, Sarah and Emmanuel return to the stories of Aramis and of Jesse. Both have their days in court. One of them catches a break, sort of, and one of them definitely catches hell. Does the Baron is not moved. So you're driving home with a uh, open container of Smirnoff ice in the center console? Ma'am, I, I didn't know that was there. I didn't, How did I, you I, miss it? You're driving the car. I'm saying I thought it was I thought it was a, like a, a fruity drink. I didn't I mean I didn't exactly know what it is, but I, I don't drink that. But I did have some marijuana in the car. 
but I didn't but, know about yeah, that. And I, I apologize. This is that. how you're going to go see your child? While both of these men have the high ground in their separate battles against the police, the effects of their mistreatment take them both down paths of self-sabotage. Now, this is an interesting episode. It starts off where episode six left off, which I'll just say, good for you guys at Serial. Thank you for starting an episode where the previous <laughs> one left off. I appreciate that. Um, but it does start with Jesse Nickerson, who we heard about last time. And a call between him and his lawyer about his various charges, a potential lawsuit against the city. Then we get this courtroom scene. I want to start talk about something startling that happens in that scene in just a minute. But first, I would just love your thoughts about where we are with Jesse in this episode. This episode kind of takes us on a journey back and forth with Jesse, where in this scene in the beginning, especially, we hear about all the charges that he has piling up against him for doing, let's face it, like kind of stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And we hear this, at least at first, like very reasonable judge. And I think the episode is kind of inviting us to go back and forth on this character. Laura, is that was that your experience with Jesse during this episode? It was. And I was like, I knew Toby was going to be excited because this is what we've talked about. The way that Serial in season one was able to kind of flip how we felt about somebody um, from one side to the other, from episode to episode, or even in the same episode. So I start out feeling kind of like, oh, this guy, he's starting to sound like he's kind of full of shit here. Like, okay, like smarten up, Jesse. And then at the end, we flip to the other side. And now I'm having much more empathy for his situation. Um, but it definitely, you know, was going from sort of one extreme to the other with him, which is something, you know, I lived through as I was listening to this. I'm like, this is so like a flashback to being in the defense investigator because I had clients like this and uh, you'd be like just please just stay out of trouble so we can resolve one case and get one case taken care of before you get in trouble for something else but I definitely felt that feeling of like they were very masterful at the way that they definitely you know took us from one side of Jesse to the other and and changed how we were feeling about him. I have a question, Kevin, about uh, one thing in particular about the serial team and the way they cover crime. Mm-hmm. And this was something that came up in season one, too. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, but I do think there's an there's an attitude here that may not take certain broader points of view into account. And I think and I hear a whole lot in this episode, the reporting and the producers and the reporters like kind of bending over backwards to minimize things like marijuana possession and marijuana use. Mm-hmm. And in this case, also, not only do they have that um, whole thing about like uh, a whole thing just for a little marijuana, but they also do a whole sort of riff in this episode about the you know driving without a license trap yeah. in Ohio yep. and you know the fines and all that stuff. Now, these are two things that are objectively illegal in that yes. state. Yeah. I mean, do you hear what I hear? That sometimes it feels like they really are bending over backwards to to minimize these kinds of things? I, I don't know if they're bending over backwards, but they are. Yeah, there is a little bit. We, we certainly have talked to a lot, heard about a lot of people who have found their way into the legal system. And while not vilifying them, there seems to be little effort to at least present them as people who are culpable and responsible for their actions. Mm. It's not, you know, victim blaming. It's, I mean, people get arrested and they're innocent until proven guilty. But w- while we're not worried about coloring people who work, who are within the system in very sharp colors, it's very soft focus for the civilians. Right. 
and the you know the defendants. And so yeah, when you start talking about yeah, just marijuana, yeah, you know, I think a lot of us would probably agree that's kind of a ticky tacky thing, but it is the law, and you do get arrested for it. And it's like, well, yeah, why would you actually be surprised that when you got caught with that, that there'd be consequences, right? And that you know these things do cascade, and that is part of the problem, right? You know, and we start talking. We, we learned in the first episode about, yeah, you just say it's a misdemeanor, but then it's this and it's that, and yeah, that's and on bail problems and these mm-hmm. fee problems, which is a really well covered story, yeah. But let's be real, like they are okay with showing warts and all the judges and the cops and whatnot. And with the civilians, they certainly like look at their flaws in a sympathetic way, which isn't the same way that they kind of do with everybody else. Hmm. Well, I guess my feeling about those two specific things are one, yeah, marijuana is illegal, and if you get caught, you get in trouble. Well, it's like who gets caught? Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. It's always it's African Americans. It's it's totally it's poor true. People. Totally true. I think it would be crazy hypocritical. Mm to come down hard on some of these people for that because yep. it's clearly a law that's not enforced equally. Right. And then the, the whole thing with the, with the driving, with the suspensions, I mean, the idea that the way to punish people in a, in a state where they say like, you're basically out of luck if you don't have a vehicle is to take their vehicle away from them. And there's any chance they have of getting their life back on track and then you continually pull them over and give them more and more suspensions with higher and higher uh, costs they have to pay and then deny them the opportunity to like travel to a job or in this case when he has uh, a baby in the hospital to go home and take a shower and change. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with them for like not giving this. I mean, I, I think they took it yeah. seriously in that they, they described it, but the idea that that would be some kind of character flaw on the part of of these guys, I, I just, especially with the driver's suspension thing, I mean, that's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like no. you're, you're just making it impossible for people to get their lives back on track. Toby, I just want to say for the record for this podcast, I 100% agree with you, but I, I for the first time in this, since we've been just talking about this season, the imbalance that you guys brought up last week, this episode was the first time I saw it a little bit in yeah. the extended storytelling around these issues. And then, except for the uh, sergeant we hear about at the end, there really have not been any backstories about the other characters in in the criminal justice system on this podcast. I mean, it's the first time I've heard it. Laura, what were you going to say? So I want to I want to bring the other point of view into this about these driving offenses, because as soon as I heard this, I will tell you, if you talk to any defense attorney in the state of New Hampshire where we work, they are going to tell you habitual offender driving clients are the worst clients to have <laughs> because they are always in fucking trouble. They continue to get in fucking trouble. They lie about driving without a They are horrible to deal with. And any defense attorney I worked with, they'd be like, oh. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, it's, those are the worst cases to get. And, and yeah, I appreciate it's sad. They can't get to their jobs. It's something about the mindset of the people that are getting those cases that end up 
being like the bane of your existence. And and I can't even tell you. I, I'm sorry, I'm launching on this, but I love how it. many times these people, that's not true. I had my license, this and that. And I would drive to the DMV to confirm what they said. And guess what? Lie, lie, lie. So um, I have no sympathy. And, and, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, brush aside the driving fences. No, talk to the damn defense attorneys. They're going to tell you those people are, they're very difficult to deal with. Anyway, end of rant. Well, you might rob a bank once in a while, but you got to drive your car every day. Yeah, but you know what? Those those are the cases where all these stupid little pain in the ass charges start snowballing because they, mm-hmm. it just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> Look, Reed, uh, I mean, if people who are listening to this are interested in, in this, Radley Balco does a bunch of stuff on this. And it is, it's this, it's this really vicious cycle. Mm. Uh, and he really focuses on St. Louis, but where people get, they get pulled over for whatever and get a fine that they can't afford to pay and they get their license suspended and then, but they have to go to court to show up for hearings or there'll be uh, a warrant put out for them. And so they show up and then they get cited for not, for having driving on a suspended license, but they had to show up to court. So it's, you know, it's this vicious cycle. No, Toby, I, you, I have a hard, you're I mean, I realize wrong. I'm not a defense attorney, so I don't have to deal with these people all the time, <laughs> but it seems like the situation that we put people in when that's a form of punishment is kind of keeping people from getting their lives back on track. I agree with everything everybody said, mm-hmm. but Kevin can you just be a little bit proud of me for pointing out some imbalance here in the, in the coverage. I, yes, it's the first time it I've did. ever said that. Yeah. Well, I saw it this week too, Rebecca. I definitely <laughs> felt like as I was listening, I almost felt like we're being a little bit—I don't want to say bamboozled, but I know a what it overly... is. I know what it is, and this is this is a danger that we as nonfiction writers run into and journalists do in long-term stuff like this is that you grow it's hard not to have an affection and an attachment to certain people that you are covering and we've said this before that the writer either betrays the subject of the reporting or he or she betrays the audience and so in this case when you look at okay this you know uh i, I won't Say Jesse or uh, or um, Aramis, but uh, take Aramis off the okay. table. That's a different right. kind so of story. Jesse, yeah. like you know, Jesse's had like all these objectively, he's been wronged. He's also kind of a knucklehead. Then you can present that as either pointing out honestly all of his shortcomings as well, and betray him. Or you can betray the rest of us in the audience by downplaying that and not letting us think that. Right. Well, that is, and that's a problem that we you always have to try to balance. But I think that the way that Serial, the team this week, tried to get around that problem is by framing the central question of the episode, uh, which Sarah asks about. I guess about halfway through. But how do you quantify the intangible damage a cop does to your sense of the world, to your sense of yourself, when he kicks your ass? And then what if it's not one cause that's led to the damage? What if there are many causes, many effects? So basically what they're saying is all of this stuff is the result of damage, which you can't argue with, by the way, when you hear Jesse's story that like all of his siblings pretty much have died in horrible, tragic ways. Uh He's lost cousins. He's lost friends. He's living in this like untenable nightmare, uh, circular world. So it's not wrong. That being said, this episode, I think we just demonstrate it, does a really good job of making you go back and forth on Jesse in particular. But I want to move on and address something else that uh, a friend of the show brought up. Going back to that uh, opening scene of the podcast, um, 
Something sure happened that took me off guard when I heard it. We hear the judge. Her name is Judge LeBaron. She goes at Jesse in the courtroom and reads back to him the exact language he used during his confrontation with police officers. I am not going to play that clip because if I did, I would feel like I wanted to bleep it when I heard it. I was really taken aback. I just want to say I'm not the only person who was taken aback. I just want to play a bit of tape that our friend Patrick Hines, he's the host of True Crime Obsessed and a good friend of the show, his reaction to this portion of the episode. I might not be super articulate here because I'm saying this off the cuff. I didn't write anything down. But I just messaged you to wish you a happy birthday. And I followed it up by saying that I just unsubscribed from Serial in a super offended huff. And I'm sticking to my story. Here's here's the deal. It was at the point where the protagonist of the story, the kid, is in front of the judge. And the judge is repeating to the kid what he said to the police officers. And she drops the F word. And within the same retelling of what he had said to various officers, he also drops the N-word at points. And Emmanuel, in his narration, right after the judge drops the the anti-gay F-word, says how bracing it is to hear a Midwestern white lady drop the N-word and others, he said. And then he moves on. And I just have to say, like, hearing the anti-gay F-word is a very jarring thing that maybe non-gay people don't understand. I think for some people it's even triggering, and apparently even for me it's triggering. It's really a really upsetting thing to hear that word. And then to hear the producer talk about how horrible other words are and not specifically mention that word. Again, I know he said and others, but I'm sorry that's not enough. And that level of ignorance about how that word really makes people feel is shocking. It's not that uncommon. This is not the first podcast I've unsubscribed to for this very reason. Um, But it definitely indicates a lack of awareness of the real full power of that word. And it's incredibly offensive to me. Happy birthday, girl. I'm going to sing you happy birthday when we talk next. Oh, it was your birthday. Yeah, I know. You forgot. Shh. That's okay. There was something on my phone from Siri, and I kept ignoring it. At least Patrick remembered. It said to call you for some reason. Oh, (laughs) call Rebecca. It's her birthday. So, I I mean, I think that, I mean, one thing that we know from doing this podcast for so long and being four white people in New Hampshire is that we are not arbiters of what is right or wrong to react to, what is right or wrong to say is offensive or non-offensive. And, like, I defer to anybody Mm -hmm. who... Like Patrick, and by the way, that particular F word was also the one that caught me aback, especially when there was no addressing of it afterwards. But I, I just want to ask you a quick question, Kevin, because this team, the Ameri- this American Life team, the serial team in particular, they're always very sensitive about disclaimers. They love swearing, they love language, they love all that stuff, but they always do sometimes tell you what uh, is going to happen, what you're going to hear. Uh, and yeah, they didn't do that in this I, case. Well, I think they do it for This American Life because people are used to a radio show. But they also you, do it in this show. In they, earlier episodes, we've heard there's going to be... Did Town? Maybe they could have. Maybe they. you think well, they should have. Well, I, I don't That's feel like... That's not the point, though, is it? I don't feel like the flag was put up for listeners quite enough on this. I'm actually, I was actually really surprised. Uh-huh. What's your editorial opinion on this? There's a couple of choices here that they made journalistically. Do you, you mention that part of the uh, interaction at all? Do you play the tape of the judge saying those oh, words? Oh yeah, you do. It was good tape. And do you address it afterwards? Mm. And if you do that, 
to what extent? Mm. So we know, yeah, they, the exchange was important. They did play the tape, and Emmanuel did address it afterwards. But I think what Patrick is saying, he said the N-word and the rest. And he wishes they had said the N-word, the F-word, and the rest, or I'll list all of them. You know, the question of whether he needed to start run off bullet points of every— we know what was bad in that. Hmm. I think what I was struck by was the fact that we had this somewhat serious judge very trying to somberly, you know, say everything that was said. And, you know, it, it brought back the memory. I remember one time there was this whole incident at my son's school where him and this other boy wrote down these lyrics to a song and the very similarly sounding assistant principal called me and she's like, I have to tell you what it said. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> I'm going to smack those hoes. I'm going to stick my pee-pee in their Cheerios. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like the same kind of experience, like somebody saying words that were like, I can't believe this person is saying these words. So I was just um, scrolling through Twitter, and I noticed that Emmanuel responded to Patrick um, with Patrick's concerns. Mm. Um, Emmanuel says, I hear you, and I'm sorry that I caused you and so many others pain this morning. I thought I was being clear that I found all of the language being said and repeated horrible to hear by saying the N-word and more, but I see now that I should have been more specific. Good for you, Emmanuel Jochi. I love Emmanuel. So then there's a a really interesting scene after this. Uh, Jesse gets charged with menacing a cop. Emmanuel has video of this incident. The video is from a body cam that David Duncan, an East Cleveland police officer, was wearing. In it, you can see that Duncan's standing inside a gas station convenience store, right by the entrance. Then Jesse enters the frame, coming from the back of the shop, carrying a drink. Jesse skips everyone in line at the register, puts some money down on the counter, and as he walks past Duncan towards the door, starts cussing him out. Jesse, by the way, I think the biggest crime he commits in the scene is cutting the line at the store while everyone else is waiting yeah. and like you know, paying for it. It's like, <laughs> don't do that, Jesse. You're not cut a line. We're going to take um, you to the park. And then, of course, he harasses the police officer. Now, Emmanuel didn't understand what Jesse thought he was doing, so he confronts him about it. In a really tough scene. So what are you asking him to do, though? I'm, I'm telling him I, I'm telling him to address the issue. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm fed up, basically. I'm fed up with you people putting your hands on me. That's what I'm saying. Like, be a man then. Come on. I'm not saying I'm going to beat your ass right now. I'm saying... You are saying, like, saying step off. outside. I, I, I Repeat it. I said... I'm telling him to take off his shit and not... And what do you mean take off his shit? shit? All right. And so, by the way, as we learn a little bit later in the podcast, uh, the officer that Jesse was harassing in that scene we just heard, David Duncan, also happened to be the one who hurt Jesse on the 4th of July, the one who pulled him out of the crowd, who said, hey, you in the red shirt, who called him by name. Toby, what do you think? Do you think it was a, a, a good move or a cheap move for the show to hold this detail back and let us just like wonder what the hell was going on for like 10 minutes in this podcast. Yeah, I as I, I emailed to you, I thought it was surprisingly cheap. In this case, some of the other stuff where they where they have you going back and forth a little bit about, you know, Jesse and I, I think comes out more naturally, but in this case they withheld information that they knew in order to make it a little more dramatic and be able to kind of throw it out, out there as like, oh, oh, in that case so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, from a storytelling perspective, especially for Serial, which I, I think doesn't do stuff like that very much, 
I thought that was less than their usual quality. Kevin, you disagree. I can see you're on your face. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't see it that way at all. I mean, I thought I actually I actually thought it was good in the sense that it did keep making you shift your allegiance to whether or not Jesse was in the right or the wrong. You first you hear, oh, he got into a beef with the cops, and you're like, oh, the cops are at fault. And then you hear the, the tape, and you're like, oh, man, he's really mounting off. I think maybe he's at fault. Then you find out, oh, it's the cop that you know we heard earlier who twisted his arm. Oh, now we understand why he was upset. I think if you like heard that all sort of like in the first sentence, he, got, he went to a, you know, a, a, a convenience store and saw the cop that twisted his arm. I mean, I don't think I don't think you get the same effect. You mm. do. I think that it was strategically written that way. But mm. I get why you don't like that, or you think that that's a shortcut. I liked getting bounced back and forth emotionally on that. So, of course, closer to the end of the episode, we're sort of swinging back. We're once again in Jesse's corner again. Uh, we've you know seen that he's really incapable of opening up emotionally. He's broken. He's lost a bunch of siblings. This, of course, is after this whole like middle section uh, with Amaris and hearing about his PTSD around his incident with, you know, being beat up by a cop. But then in Jesse's final hearing in the episode, we hear that the prosecutor asks for jail time for Jesse because he's, quote, an extremely negatively perverse influence on the city of Cleveland. Uh, Laura Bricker is that something that a prosecutor can quantify <laughs> being one person being a, quote, severely negatively perverse uh, influence on an entire city? It seems a little extreme, um, to put it mildly. Um, you know, I understand he's been in trouble a lot. He's had a lot of just ongoing, like the episode snowballing cases. There are all a bunch of little cases, but together it's just like one big cluster. You know, it's not necessarily fair. There might be a different way to address it, but it seemed like the train was just rolling with Jesse and it was really hard to get it to stop at this point by the time he got to court. Yeah. Toby, what do you think of that expression? Uh, extremely negatively perverse influence on the city of Cleveland. Uh, it made me want to go out and find the extremely positively perverse people <laughs> in Cleveland. Because <laughs> they sound like they'd probably be pretty fun. <laughs> so, Kevin, at the very end of the episode, uh, we hear for the first time a super fair judge in this series. Yeah. I was actually thinking that phrase that you were going over I think it just like went just a little too far and, and made it conspicuous. Yes. You know, if they'd like kind of played it a little cooler and trying to make it off like this guy's a criminal, he needs to be taken care of. If they start going so far, it's like he should be excommunicated from the church. <laughs> yes. And that, you know, drummed out, you know, all of a sudden it's kind of like, what? I mean, I think it, it became conspicuous to the judge. But you're right. The judge kind of like saw. Okay, this is the guy who, you know, he knows too who this guy is. Yes, and he also he knows got, who the cops are. He knows who the cops are. It's very obvious He's to like, him. He's yeah. like, you suck, you need to knock it off. But by the way, the cops, they also suck, and I don't blame yeah. you for taunting yeah. them. Like, like it- and unlike Judge Gall, I think probably we probably started channeling a little Judge Gall earlier, both these judges see like, okay, Jesse, you, you also, you are playing a role in this. Even though you're not the instigator here, you're totally the victim 
in a lot of these cases, but for example, you didn't have to like cut the line at the convenience store and yeah. start mouthing off at the cop. That was unnecessary. Mostly, he didn't need to so, cut the line at the convenience right, store. Right. So he gave <laughs> he gave Jesse a good resource, which yeah. is like go to these classes. And I don't know if he ends up going to them, but here's different ways that you ways you can deal with that frustration and deescalate and, and like these are some positive things that you can do. Right. And that's what you have control over. Right. I don't know if they mentioned the judge's name, but. You know, here's yeah, a champion. Here's a champion of justice there. Judge Dawson, mm-hmm. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're elected or appointed. Probably They're all elected. elected, yeah, I think. I think that he's worth a vote to that Judge Dawson. <laughs> I do. I do. So could I, I just ask a quick question before we move on? Of course. Um, to you journalist types, which is, what's the ethics behind, it seemed whenever they were interviewing Jesse, he was stoned. Mm. And I just can't imagine like them like interviewing a judge while he's shit faced mm. or yeah. like it just it just seemed yeah. odd. It's like again and again, and he you know he doesn't come across as being as really having his act together, but you know he's messed up. What was the line that Emmanuel said? The his, best his... line I think I've heard in a year at least. I'll play it. Still, Jesse, who smells like his shadow would fail a drug test, tells me no, he's going to play it straight. Appeal for mercy. That was a Hall of Fame piece of writing. That is fantastic. That <laughs> Good is a for great you, Emmanuel Joji. Oh my God! It sounds like he wrote that for himself, does it not? It does. Yeah. 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 But what's the ethics? I mean, I think if you kind of disclose your suspicion that he's, you know, which uh, he did, which he did, would I, you pass a drug test? I think it, I think it's important because I guess if you choose not to interview, I guess this guy, if you don't, if you don't interview him when he's not high, you might not talk to him at all. But I think yeah. it's important to his character that we understand that he does do drugs and that he is doing them in inappropriate times, like he's coming to court half-baked. I think so long, for me, Laura, you tell me what you think. For me, so long as you disclose he smells like he's reeking or whatever, and you're not you're not purposely hiding it, I think it's okay. And what- you're not purposely not, like, I mean, Jesse knew he was the subject of this story. This is true. Yep. Before he chose to get high before meeting Emmanuel. Yeah. I think yeah. that if a judge knew he was going to be interviewed by Emmanuel and showed up drunk, that's fair game. You interview the drunk judge. Yeah. If you're you going to go I mean? meet a guy yeah. in his car in the parking lot of the bus station, you probably <laughs> should. Ass- <laughs> you probably should assume, you know. That he might be doing it. If you meet the judge in his chambers, or you meet him in a bar. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. So as as a journalist, I definitely, I mean, like you said, you may not get the story any other time because this is this person's reality. You know, I was having sort of a flashback to some things that happened when I was a defense investigator. And that was a time where I would not, if possible, interview somebody who was high. So I like, I remember one time I went to some apartment building and knocked on the door and this guy came out in like a puff of smoke, like I was going to get like a contact buzz. And I'm like, you know, uh, something else just came up. Could you come down to my office for an interview another time? So that was a different time, you know, different sort of situation, I think. But as a journalist, I think you have to disclose it. You may have to also recognize that you're, you know, maybe not getting the most coherent or accurate information in that state, as long as you're not covering it up. All right. Well, let's do what we do. And let's give this episode of Serial, Season 3, Episode 7, The Snowball Effect, a letter grade and briefly explain why. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to go with an A-. minus. I liked this episode because I did like the fact that we're now following people. We're following stories. I liked that we have a sympathetic cop that we didn't talk about too much, Sergeant Williams, the cop that knew Jesse when he was a little boy. I didn't like that I felt like 
they were a little bit bamboozled by some of their um, interview subjects in the criminal justice system in, in bending over backwards to be sympathetic when I would like them to be called out a little bit on what was going on. But I, I like that we're following real people now that I feel like I want to know what happens to them. Toby Ball, what about you? Letter grade for this episode of Serial and briefly explain why. Yeah, I'm serving that B plus A minus range. You know, there's a little more nuance uh, in this one. And I thought parts of it were, were really good. I, I think we've discussed a couple of things that I didn't think were quite as good. But for the most part, you know, it was, it was a good listen. I'm a hard B minus C plus for this episode. Wow. I wow. think there there's a lot of potential here. I think the Aramis story came close to some of that potential. And I loved that the civil rights attorney, I believe it was, uh, told Sarah, if you want a story to see how the effects of police violence hurt somebody, follow this guy because he seems great today, but he's not going to be okay. The story was there for me. And this episode treated it like a side story, like a demonstration of something bigger. And to me, that was the story that I really wanted. I think the bending over backwards, sideways, roundabout with Jesse was interesting, but not done as well as it could have been. And it's no fault of the writing. It's no fault of Emmanuel's or something about the way the show was put together felt very flat to me. And also just the tracking in this show, which is something I would never in a million years complain about, about serial tracking, by the way, I mean, the voiceover for the show, people who don't know what that word means, felt extremely flat to me and low energy. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, quibbles and all, like, I just actually did not enjoy listening to this episode and it had nothing to do with the subject matter. Kevin Flynn, letter grade for this uh, episode of Serial, and why? I think we're in bizarre worlds here because I am also a B. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I, I'm a little disappointed that they uh, they had this great cliffhanger and then dropped it uh, in the beginning of this the one. They said, Yeah, they're like, oh, that's great, but that's actually, there's something is better. And they're like, that isn't actually better. That's not how cliffhangers work, that's guys. Cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> um, the lawyer didn't even care. Yeah, it slipped out Can of Can I that revise one. my grade now? Can <laughs> I mention that? <laughs> And, nope. uh, you're on record, Toby. Yeah, and there were two like really interesting character studies, but you're right. Something about it just didn't kind of click as an episode for me. I, I think it's the the weakest of the seven so far. You know, we didn't even really get to talk about the cop that beat up Aramis. Who's back on the job now, Who's right? now back on the job? I know. I was going to go on my own rage walk like Laura, but I didn't have my Rothy's shoes with me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Rothy's shoes are stylish, sustainable, and comfortable enough for everyday wear anywhere. Remember, they are made out of recycled plastic water bottles. They are the softest shoe you can put on your feet. Plus, they're machine washable. And they have nothing to do with that horrible cop. They have nothing to do with that guy. They don't. (laughs) They don't. But if you want to work off all your rage, you should go out in a pair of Rothy's. Because you know why? one of the great reasons why Rothy's? Because, uh, let's face it, feet do sweat. They do. And you want to get it out of your shoe. Especially yours. So, Laura, I bet you would say that no rage walker should be without their own pair of Rothy's, right? Exactly. Because when you're raging away, they're soft, like so slippery soft and so comfortable that it kind of takes away the rage because they're just so nice to wear. Like little pillows on your feet? They are. They're very soft and comfy. 
Well, uh, Lara and Rebecca love their Rothy's, and I know that you will too. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners when you use the code CRIME. You get free shipping, no minimum. That's free shipping and free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoe. When you go to Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S, dot com and enter CRIME. This is a no-brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, plus free shipping. Get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com, promo code crime get this deal while it lasts what else you got kevin well i'll tell you you'll never have to cut the line at the convenience store in a very horrible and rude way if you have a freezer full of daily harvest cups hell no you won't yeah daily harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door all you have to do is you add water or your favorite milk right to the cup and you can blend it or heat it and then you enjoy daily harvest new savory Harvest Bowls are an amazing, healthy dinner that's faster than takeout. And their new plant-based, ready-to-blend protein smoothies actually have me excited about my gym days. Wait, you have gym days now? I'm just... Kevin. I I obviously just read this off a piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you meant those days we have to work with that guy named Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, each of their dessert-inspired flavors packs in at least 10 grams of protein without the chalky powders. Rebecca, I know that you love uh, Daily Harvest. You know I do. What about one of your favorite flavors? Tell Uh, you. I mean, I think I'm well-documented on the record saying that that, like, I'm sorry, I don't remember all the ingredients. The two main ones are like cacao and avocado. It's my favorite Daily Harvest smoothie. It basically tastes like a super thick, amazing chocolate shake. It's my favorite one. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME Crime. to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CRIME Crime. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. Moving on. The latest investigative podcast from Wondery and the Boston Globe Spotlight team is Gladiator, Aaron Hernandez and Football Inc. The team at Spotlight examines the life of the athlete who went from being a star tight end to convicted murderer and all the factors that led Hernandez from high school sports hero to jailhouse suicide. I said, Aaron, I'm hearing some things about you know, you and this murderer. A man who spiraled out of control, all while elite coaches and others in the football business looked the other way. Police led former Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez out of his mansion in handcuffs this morning, a shirt covering his chest and arms. At his arraignment this afternoon, the state charged Hernandez with murder, saying he orchestrated the killing of an associate, Odin Lloyd. Gladiator promises to be an unflinching look at both the man and the machine of football that enabled his deadly downfall. We will be talking about plot points from Gladiator, so if you want to just skip to our spoiler-free review so you know if you should check it out, look for the time code embedded in our show notes. Now, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to dwell on it super long, but Kevin... Wondery, the mm-hmm. production house that produced Gladiator, along with the Boston Globe Spotlight team, does have a very specific production style. The podcasts sound a specific way. We've said before, they sound like TV shows. They've got lots of Foley. They've got mm-hmm. lots of like tape and music and like nothing's quiet and everything's very like boom, 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 boom. And we also have these very dry print reporters from Boston. I kind of disagree with Tell that. Tell me how you like it. Do you think this works I for this, do for this like podcast? It. I'm very surprised at how uh, competent the uh, print uh, reporters are at tracking their lines mm-hmm. and putting together this podcast. I, I actually think the music is very well done. It's 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 very it's orchestral. It's it's um it's football appropriate. 
right, there's some football, you know, kind of stuff. But also, I think that it, it highlights emotionally all the notes as they go along. So I think it's very well thought out. And I think it's very lush is how I would describe the production. It's lush. I will just say, I think I've said this before, I'm not a huge fan of the the sound of Wondery Podcast. To me, they do sound like the soundtracks of TV shows. Mm-hmm. But this one, to me, sounds more like the soundtrack of a Frontline episode than the soundtrack of an Investigation Discovery super cheesy true crime show. So I really like it in a way that I haven't really connected with a Wondery show before. Laura, what do you think of the rotating voices of these Boston Globe spotlight reporters? <laughs> hey, Laura, what do you think of them reporters from the paper? <laughs> They're wicked, wicked, super uh, good. Football. <laughs> you know what? I don't. It says I, I live here. I don't notice it, <laughs> so I'm used to hearing people talk like this. Um, I found the woman to be a little more lively than the man. He was pretty methodical in the way that he was delivering um, the facts and the story. But I, I, you know what? At the same time, you know, it was it was easy to follow and easy to listen to, and it was well set up and well organized. And you know, it may not have been the most jazzy in terms of delivery, but it, it worked. Now, you know, Laura, there are two different men, right? There's Bob Holler, who's like sort of like oh, the I intro guy. The and then there's guy. the, uh, I'm sorry, I forget the reporter's name. Episode three is another man mm-hmm. who's... Bob oh. Ryan. Yes. You know what? I think I missed that because I have to tell you, when I was listening to this, I was I was listening to the podcast, but I was walking on the indoor track at the YMCA and I was like so pissed off about these people that got in front of me and like stopped and like walked so freaking slow I that I think walking. I lost track. I, I didn't know who was narrating because I was like, get the, get the hell out of my way. Yeah. So I was following the story, maybe not necessarily as much the narrator. I hear you. I hear you. Well, episode one of this podcast is kind of an overview episode. It's the story of Aaron Hernandez's rise in sports, the crime he committed, the suicide he committed in prison. Now, we all come to this story with a different knowledge base about the story and also just about football and how, like, all this stuff kind of works and pieces together. Toby, how did you feel about episode one as an overview? And did it jibe? with your memories of the Aaron Hernandez case. Yeah, it pretty much did. I wasn't bored by it, even though I knew most of the stuff that they were talking about. I think it was a big case nationally, but certainly here it was huge and so kind of startling. Mm. I was expecting to hear more that I didn't know in that first episode, and I didn't that much, but it was still, I mean, it was well done, and I think did a good job of framing what was to come later. Kevin, can you please just tell our audience full disclosure about your deep (laughs) and abiding love of the Patriots and what is your relationship to this Aaron Hernandez story? Yeah, I, I'm a Patriots fan, and uh, no, you're not. Just, you're like a super. No, Patriots. I'm not a super. I, 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 right, I'm, okay. You text your mom during Patriots games about the Patriots. You are a super fan of the Patriots. <laughs> okay, so I have a relationship with the Patriots. <laughs> right. um, to Kevin's defense, there's a lot of super fans. That's right. It's a Patriots. very New England yeah. thing that I, when I first moved to New England, I was like. What the fuck yeah. is wrong with these people? It's just a football team. Calm down. Yes. And they were yeah. losers back then. They well, were. Yeah. Ken, Ken's old hairdresser has a vanity plate. NH Pats fan. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. New England. I mean, the thing, if you don't live in the United States and like the whole like American obsession with sports is one thing, the New England relationship with its sports teams is on an unhealthy relationship. I'm just going to say it as somebody who like lived here forever. I've lived here since 19, early 1990s, but like I'm not originally mm-hmm. from here. I'm comfortable telling you, Kevin, your relationship with the New England sports teams 
is an unhealthy one. Just the Red Sox and the <laughs> Patriots. I'm not a Bruins fan. Okay, not go ahead. You don't feel fan. that way about the Revolution? The soccer team, no. <laughs> or, or the Boston Cannons? The lacrosse, lacrosse team? Professional yeah, lacrosse. No. Oh, I, wow. I never even heard no. of them. All right, so Kevin, no. so how do you feel about the Aaron Hernandez story would happen? And then, you know, the first episode oh, well, of this podcast, yeah, I, did it cover it well I, for I, you? I mean, like, emotionally, I cut him loose, you know? It wasn't, like, going to be like, oh, right, like, I'll stand by Tom Brady for a deflate gate. But I'm like, Aaron Hernandez, like that guy, for a... For fucking three murders, it's like you know that's fine. You're 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 done. I so I don't have any allegiance to him as an athlete or a person. I do have you know a sentimental allegiance to the Patriots, and so but I'm ready to hear where they were bad actors. I mean, yeah. I don't think I, I I know that that's coming. Some of it's going to be like, yeah, well, I guess I probably shouldn't be surprised by you know any professional football team doing X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, we haven't really gotten there yet, and I think that that's coming up. I'm not going to be an apologist for the Patriots. At least I'm not going to try to try not to be. Right. But I think that what you just said was interesting. You were like, I'm just not with him because of this, this, and this. Like you kind of cut People him off. People stayed with OJ. But episode, we just, yeah, episode two of yeah. this podcast, Bristol, yeah. I believe should be, I mean, we're nearing the end of 2018. I think episode two of this podcast should be, you know, those lists of like top 10 podcast episodes of the year. Mm-hmm. For me, episode two of this podcast was brilliant, heartbreaking, meticulously reported look at Aaron Hernandez's childhood and life in Bristol, Connecticut, with these so-called like thugs that I you know you think about fellow patriots. I wrote this in a little blurb I wrote for in Vulture this week about true crime podcasts. When Aaron Hernandez was arrested, so many people on the Patriots and around the Patriots were like, "Oh yeah, he had this habit of hanging out with this like bad crowd from Bristol," and it was a very easy story to spin. And this spotlight team basically like takes that spin, throws it in the trash. And tells you this story about this real kids growing up in this super abusive, there's no other way to say it, household. Mm-hmm. Yep. In this super sports-infused community where the only way to prove your value as a human being, if you happen to have a penis, was by hurting other people on the field and being a man. This hyper-toxically masculine place that he came from. Did you feel any differently about Aaron Hernandez when he heard episode two of this podcast? Oh yeah, I, I, I became a little uh, some sympathetic for him and his situation and his family. His brother seemed to be like really upset. It's it's hard like when you have a relative who has done something bad like that. You know that how do you come to terms with the way you feel about them mm. and how culpable are you for their crimes? But I, I think that it was an unflinching look at you know. Uh, what his background was, and not in a way that, again, was um, making excuses for him. It isn't like the brother said, well, of course he was going to turn out to be a killer because of what our dad did to us. We also heard that those boys were sexually abused. Yep. And we also learned, and not through fake reporting about stupid suicide notes that didn't exist, but we heard that Aaron Hernandez was bisexual and mm-hmm. that he had you know, relationships all the way back through high school and that he really struggled with his identity his whole life living in this toxic environment with this like horrible tyrant of a man. Laura Bricker, I know you're not a huge football fan. I know you don't have yeah. the same dysfunctional relationship with the Patriots that Kevin does. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> As somebody who knows like nothing about this, what do you think? Well, you know, I have to say I am not like I managed to find ways to like be in the same room when uh, Fireman Ken is watching football and appear to be um, 
you know, supporting all this by actually listening to audiobooks while the football game is on. Um, Brilliant. So Audible.com slash crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will say that listening to this second episode, I felt really badly for this guy as I'm listening. You know, it's like the scene where his dad ends up punching the coach in the face. <laughs> and Dennis came walking off the field one day down at the midget football field there and I had reached out my hand to shake with him and said, hey, no hard feelings. And, you know, I kind of just did one of these numbers where he didn't look at me, didn't talk to me, kind of kept walking. And me being the person that I am that has to say the one thing that's just too much. And I says to him, I says, uh, Dennis, why are you being such an asshole about this? Well, he promptly turned around and clocked me one uh, across the face. What the fuck? Like, I thought that was just hockey parents. No, I guess it's football parents, too. <laughs> but it just, I mean, it gave you kind of a window into the fact that this he was in a, you know, tough situation. And to put it mildly, you know, his out would have been to get out, go to college and play football. But then you hear this heartbreaking story about how, you know, he's taken in by, it was his cousin? Yeah. Who yeah. used to babysit him after his father dies. And I mean, it just sounded like a very stressful kind of childhood in a way, you know, but, but it kind of sets it up for how when he got to the Patriots and when he got to college, he, you know, emotionally wasn't at a maturity level to really be able to handle all of that. Because right. like what kind of background did he have to prepare him for that? You know, one of the most poignant details uh, of episode two that really brought home something in episode one. Kevin, do you remember the incident that pissed off Tom Brady that Aaron Hernandez did during the, the walkthrough? we being goofy. And, and what was he saying about, what was he calling Coach Belichick? He calls him daddy. Oh, daddy. Yeah. What does that tell you? Oh, that he sees uh, him as the uh, authority figure that he wants to please, but is also... Knows it's impossible. Knows it's impossible, yeah. And it's, to me, so much sadder mm -hmm. when you hear that. Now, Toby, I know that you also saw episode two as a little bit of a morality play about toxic masculinity, right? Oh, yeah, of course. So what are your thoughts so far? I mean, you are a sports ball guy. You know, I don't know what your thoughts were about the Hernandez case before now, but in hearing episode two, and like, let's talk a little bit about episode three... And uh, Gator Nation, in which we hear how Aaron Hernandez is sort of like sucked in, chewed up and spit out as this super emotionally immature kid from an abusive home. What do you think at this point? Do you think that Aaron Hernandez might be like redeemable as a figure through this story? Or do you think that this is just going to be an interesting look at circumstances that led from one place to the next? Yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about it in terms of is he redeemable? I mean, I think, you know, he kind of did what he did and, and he's and he's dead now. So that I think it's more of a, a trying to understand how did he get to there? They, they talk a little bit about like the culture change going to university of Florida from a high school in Connecticut. Yep. I mean, football, football is very different down South. And this, I did, this didn't come up with this podcast, but, but college football is a really sort of destructive force. Yes. I think in, As our, is just in our the, country, the NCAA in general, I'd say, but football, in particular, football's by far the worst mm -hmm. in that there's so much money involved. Every football team's got like, you know, 80 to 100 kids playing for it on scholarship. For, I guess, probably some Americans, but certainly uh, people abroad who are listening, like you can go on, uh, on the web and there's a map which shows the highest paid state employee in every state. And about Two-thirds to three-quarters of them are, are the head football yeah. coaches at the big state university. Yeah. Right. In New Hampshire, it was the hockey coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was, so it's got this sort of outsized 
important. Schools and uh, you know, college town police forces sweeping stuff under the rug to keep these kids eligible to play. It's shocking that they're willing to cover up a murder. Yep. The most common thing I think is sexual assault. I think it's a really sort of malignant force in in our education system. Throw on top of that what we now know about CTE Mm. and that a lot of these kids, like the vast, vast, vast majority are never going to play professional football. And, you know, they're doing this to their brains while they're playing college football. The details of the stuff surprised me, but the general picture uh, was sort of exactly in keeping with what I would somewhat assume. I have huge justice issues with the NCAA period. I think that the amateur college athlete system is super BS. We get a really interesting example of something that like I've seen people on Twitter being like, oh, yeah, of course. But I'm like, I didn't freaking know about it. Let's just talk about the fact that Aaron Hernandez, it sounds like very common practice, halfway through his senior year of high school because he had committed to Florida, uh, was taken out of school. The school was basically pressured into graduating him early. He had technically enough credits, but Kevin, you and I both have high school kids, and we both know that you might have enough credits, but you may not have taken all the classes you actually need to graduate. Yeah, I don't see how that that happened. Exactly. But But doesn't it sort of feel like cheating? To have these kids come half a year early, spend a semester at the school where they're going to play the following year, learn all the plays. It seems like not okay. Yeah. And then they send them to community college to make up. Yeah, to make up. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. No, I'm surprised. I mean, I think like in a sense, like I don't know anybody who like got accepted to college in November and then just like. Left. Yeah, or ju- just like, just no, stayed in high school, but just like flunked the whole thing. Just yeah. like got senioritis and didn't do anything, and then that was somehow detrimental to their enrollment the next fall. Because it's kind of like that. Yeah. It's kind of like, all right, I'm I'm in, I've got, you know, I've got a place to go, but now I'm just going to like head on down with Tim Tebow, of all people. I know. <laughs> Came to a bar fight with Tim Tebow's there. It's like, okay. Well, they had Jesus so, on their side. Yeah, and just to, <laughs> just so I could study the playbook for next year. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And then, Laura, I kept thinking about you when we hear that basically Florida and Urban Meyer, they basically have their own Saul Goodman down there. Yeah. <laughs> who's like their fixer obstructing justice on behalf of these players. Um, How would you feel about that, Laura? I was, This is just bullshit. I was listening to this, and I'm like, are you even kidding me? First of all, they're taking these kids in high school, which, I mean, I don't have a high schooler yet, but I'm thinking, like, mentally, emotionally, maturity-wise, I can't imagine these kids going. But the fact that Aaron Hernandez was one of, like, what was it, eight in that season? Yep. That were, that were all there early from high school? And then this guy, I loved the description that they had of his office with all of his, like, paraphernalia for the Florida Gators up on the wall. And, like, thanks for being part of the team. It was just um, like the old boys network was strong, so strong. Um, And you notice the the interview that they did with him was cut so short. It was like, I've I've answered enough. We're done here. And I'm like, whoa. I I liked him. I liked representing him. He's dead now. I'm going to respect his memory. What a nice way to get out of your own culpability, right? Yeah. Be careful, Boston Globe. They're going to take you out in the swamp and dump you down with a gator. I mean, it was like, (laughs) what is happening here? This just seems so unfair, you know, long term to these these kids, basically. And I was arguing with Ken about it. And he's like, what? You know, I was like, it's this gladiator analogy is so accurate. 
And uh, he's like, well, they're not like fighting lions or anything. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> but like they're getting brain damaged yes. and, and like for, for money. And, and what are they getting in the end? Community college credits? Like right. this and, is bullshit. And by the way, and brain damage. We have to yeah. find a way to monetize Laura's inevitable stroke. We do. We should get a sponsor for that. Is there some sort of like blood thinning sponsor that we like? Eloquist? <laughs> Martha and Snoop Dogg need to send me some more wine. Oh, a, a Bayer aspirin a day. <laughs> That's for heart attack. Oh, you're right. It's for heart attack. Yeah. You're right. Anyway, carry right. on. Now, carry um, on. so the tease for episode four, you know, we hear how the Gators basically kind of tried to sabotage his recruitment by the NFL. Urban Meyer, like, talks Mac about him uh, in advance of the draft. So his draft pick was super low. So they basically sucked him into their system, got a championship, got what they needed, and they were like, okay, and said to him, like, you need to leave the program now because you're more trouble than you're worth, essentially. And we get this great... Between the lines. That yeah. Was, yeah. And we get this tease... That we now, next week uh, on this podcast, are going to hear about the Patriots' culpability, or role at least, in the Aaron Hernandez story. Kevin, what do you want to hear in this episode next week? I kind of know what is coming up. Tell us. So, all right, you've already been spoiler warned. If you still want to, last chance to jump ahead. Uh, There was a piece in the Globe today about the 10 things that they learned about Aaron Hernandez doing this, and it's already kind of jumped ahead. We're going to find out that Hernandez went to Bill Belichick, the coach Mm. of the Patriots, and begged to be traded to a team on the West Coast because he feared for his safety uh, in New England. Uh, And Belichick obviously refused. The Patriots also ended up getting him his own Apartment, I think it's in Franklin, Massachusetts, or some place that they refer to as the Flop House. Huh. A secret place for him to go. Wow. Also, wow. Hernandez was always, he smoked marijuana about almost every day. He was always high. And um, his shadow wouldn't pass a drug test. His shadow wouldn't pass a drug test. <laughs> <laughs> and he, when he was in jail, he was a extremely comfortable. Telling you, you hear him on the phone calls talking about how he just loves his little cell and he's he's relaxed there and doesn't have the other stresses. And he ends up smoking an awful lot of, I think it's called K two. It's a synthetic marijuana oh, that they can sneak in, and it causes hallucinations. And he was smoking that the night that he committed suicide. Yeah, but can we get back to the Patriots and how they had oh, yeah. a house for him? So they knew he was in trouble. I got to see how it all fits together. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, wow. yeah, they they knew he thought he was in trouble. Let's see what they know, though. Well, as, as Toby wrote to me in a note today, being a star athlete absolves you of a lot of sins. Just ask who, Toby? Uh-oh. Allegedly... Ben Roethlisberger. Allegedly, Ben Uh, Roethlisberger. All right. Well, let's do what we do, and let's tell our listeners, should they check out Gladiator from Boston Globe's Spotlight team? And Wondery, thumbs up or thumbs down? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. I mean, anything that the Spotlight team does is uh, well-researched, well-done, has had resources put into it. Uh, You know, like I said, I'm not a football fan. This is an interesting story. I think there's a story behind the football that needs to be told that's going to be coming out. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs up for Gladiator from Wondery and... Thumbs up or thumbs up? Sorry. Thumbs up or thumbs up? Sorry, 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 sorry. 
No, I get I give it a thumbs up. You anticipated it. All right. I'm just gonna leave it then. Uh yeah, me too. I actually think, you know, think about the big smash hit wondery podcast. The two that come to mind are Dr. Death and Dirty John. Mm-hmm. I think this podcast is far superior to both of those podcasts. I think this is the best yes. podcast that Wondery has ever produced. I'm not talking about podcasts on the Wondery Network that, you know, they haven't produced. I'm talking about podcasts that Wondery has produced. This is by and far the best one. I have a tiny quibble, a production quibble besides the, all the sound stuff, is that the tracking, the voiceover stuff is is edited a little too tightly together. I just, you know, Kevin, I played you back episode two, like the woman reporter whose name, I'm sorry, is escaping me, but like her sentences had no pauses between yeah, them. Like, yeah, and whoever, I told you, you're fucking nuts. Whoever is producing this show, please allow for like a breath between sentences please <laughs> just all i would ask because otherwise this podcast is just really really outstanding i'm really loving it huge thumbs up for me yeah I'm thumbs up it is a great podcast it's a, a you know an unflinching look here and um you know i think that we as americans are untroubled by certain things that we really should be troubled by we don't care that chinese children make our iphones and we don't care that people on minimum wage are flipping our burgers and we certainly don't care that these athletes are slowly killing themselves every sunday yeah Uh, and it's i think it's okay to shed some light on that that's hey that's spotlight right so spotlight spotlight uh so (laughs) while i think it's going to be a, a full view a com- much more complete picture of the man who is Aaron Hernandez. I think it's also going to look at the way that this mysterious machine of football worked to help and hurt his development. I mean, if you think about it, this really is not going to be a good look for the NFL. But if you want to look good, you should check out BioClarity. Oh, yes, you should. BioClarity is a clean and green skincare line that will help you get naturally glowing skin. Their products are 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free. So they have a lot of different things. they got skincare products. They have um, a great mask. I think you might have seen me on Twitter wearing Absolutely. a mask. You do love yourself I, I some face masks. But the clear skin routine is perfect for combination oily and breakout prone skin. This is That's their, what I have, by yeah, the way. The three-step skincare regimen, it's supposed to rescue stressed skin, banish bumps, diminish redness, and mm. even skin tone and texture. Let me see it. Come here. My combination skin has been loving the BioClarity. Tell me why. My combination skin is combination AF. Like, I have, like, you know, I'm Italian, so I have sort of, like, an oily base, but then I get dry, like, here, here, and here. Mm-hmm. So I get to see those sort of, like, trapped bumps. And when you have, like, a, a system where there's, like, exfoliation and cleansing, it's just, like, it's it's really good. I got to say, like, I really, really love these products. And by the way, most important, I love the way they smell. That is a super important attribute to me. Uh, get started on healthier habits with your skincare. Just go to bioclarity.com. Our listeners will get 15% off their entire first purchase. Plus, shipping is free when you buy a routine. And it comes with a 100% risk free money back guarantee. But you have to enter code CRIME. That's crime. bioclarity and enter our code CRIME. CRIME. What else you got, Kevin? Well, thanks to two years of research and development and multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort. Is this a Bombus commercial? It is Bombus! It can only be Bombus with that much research. Well, they made the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. It wasn't by accident. I know. I'm wearing them right now under my boots. Yeah, look at this. 
We all have our I bothers. Actually, too. So. <laughs> I'm just going to start feeling my foot. Toby, do you love the arch support system oh, the that provides feature. extra support where you need it, and the cushioned footbed that reinforces comfort without adding bulkiness? Would you say it exactly like that? <laughs> you took it. You took the words right out of my mouth. They are. It's funny. They are super comfortable. You do put them on, and you they they just kind of feel differently than other socks. And it's actually the only socks I'll I'll play basketball in now. Mm. Right. Yeah. They have that stay up technology that yep. ensures that your socks will, you know, stay in place and they don't leave a mark. Did you notice that? Yes. Can I just say like one huge prop for Bombas? Yeah. It's the only short sock. I mean, they have longer socks and shorter socks. It's the only short sock you can wear under boots because they stay up. Right. Like or you I, don't want to put your foot down in a boot and then it goes over your or heel, take your, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, or you pull the boot off and the sock comes off. Like the bombas just stay where they're supposed they to stay. They have a tab. I know. It's they have the a best. tab. It's Why didn't you even feature. think of that before? That's amazing. And I love the support. You know, I have plantar fasciitis. Yeah. I'm not making a claim. It's not the same as like a bandage, but it feels just like good to have that like arch support. It's the best feature in the sock. Go to bombas.com slash crime and use the code crime for 20% off your first order. Bombas socks are the official rage socks of Laura Bricker. <laughs> That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime, code crime, and you'll get 20% off your first order. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. And know that crime is not Kevin forgetting what he explicitly told me he would get me for my birthday and instead giving me a check for $5. Yeah, in a card, just like Nana would. (laughs) (laughs) True story, folks. (laughs) Last week, while a group of detainees was being escorted out of Judge R.W. Buzzard's courthouse in Lewis County, Washington, two of the handcuffed men turned and ran out the public door. The lone deputy on duty couldn't leave the other prisoners, so what to do? That's when the judge himself jumped from the bench, tossed off his black robe, and chased after them. Judge Buzzard followed them down two flights of stairs and caught one as he made it outside. Police scooped up the other escapee a few blocks away. This is the second time defendants have just run away. And the sheriff says they need to beef up security at this courthouse. The two will face new charges and probably a different judge in a different courtroom. So, question for you, panel. Apparently, this is a very small courthouse. Uh, what other extra duties do you think Judge Buzzard has in this courthouse? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I'm going to go with the lunch and learn yoga <laughs> stress break <laughs> to give everybody a you know a little stretch from their desks. I'm sure he's leading that on his exercise ball. <laughs> what do you think, Toby? What other extra duties does this judge probably have at this very tiny courthouse? I don't know, uh, but I heard that story and I was listening to... Uh, NHPR like years ago and there's like a similar story that happened in the uh, Dover courthouse Mm. where a couple of guys something happened and then two people who were going to go on trial like basically just like saw that nobody was paying attention to them and like made a break for it and Mm. like jumped into a waiting car and took off (laughs) and uh, I only mentioned it because I was listening I was like wow that's kind of ballsy and then it turned out one of them was a kid I'd had as a freshman in high school in one of my classes (laughs) (laughs) and it was a kid I liked a lot and I could just totally like 
when I heard the name, I was like, I could, I totally know what the thought process was. Uh, way to be a and role model, like, Mr. Ball. Wouldn't it just be like the most badass thing if I just took off right now? How cool would that be? And he did. And of course, he got busted. But anyway. Kevin, what do you think some of the other the judges' other duties were in this courthouse? He has to fill the ice cube trays. Oh, I think he has to hold the Tupperware parties <laughs> because uh, defense investigator Laura Bricker is such a freaking failure at them. I sentenced you to a whole bowl set. <laughs> they might need some salad containers for lunch to take and go. Here's the orange juice picture that you wanted. Here's the very specific plastic thing that could also just be a paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should probably end it on that note. Before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, Rebecca, because it is your birthday today. <gasps> yes. Just for you, I am giving you a dog of the week. Yay! Um, Best present from, I've gotten all day. Even better than a $5 check I got from Kevin. Yeah, take that, Kevin. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to butcher this name. Kyan Crumdeek mm-hmm. <laughs> from New Zealand. He made his first funded short film, Repugnant, which stars a pug named Arnie, who was freaking amazing. And stunts were done by Henry the Pug, mm. um, who was the stunt double. I don't know. It's some sort of like gay pug love triangle. I'm not really sure what's going on. But you can see it on Facebook at Repugnant the Pug. Wow. I will look that up immediately when we finish taping this podcast. Yes. Well, Laura, people want to submit their smushed in face film auteur dogs to you to be cat of the week how can they find you online at Laura Bricker and Toby Ball people want to reach out to you on Twitter how can they find you at Toby Ball NH and Kevin Flynn if people want to chastise you about giving me a five dollar check for my birthday instead of the specific thing I asked for that you said you would get for me how can they find you online they can go to hell <laughs> but no how can they find you online? at Kevin P. Flynn and if you want to wish me a happy 45th birthday you can find me at Reb Lavoy. you can also find me at Reb Lavoy on Instagram you can follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and I encourage you to join the amazing community of thousands of our listeners in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group we also have a regular Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And you will not only get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast, but you'll also be eligible to join Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group. I, I have something to say about that. What's One that, of our Laura? Rage Walkers has lost eight pounds rage walking. Nice. All right. I think I found them, by the way. <laughs> you can also get a free month of Stitcher Premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime. And when you'll join, you'll get access to my other podcast with Kevin, Married with Podcast, on which we deliver all sorts of brilliant and insightful advice about stuff like marriage. <laughs> Child rearing. And dogs football <laughs> and relationships our theme song was performed by the new york sky jazz ensemble and used with permission and this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our basement where we shower snap towels and conduct post-game interviews in front of our lockers naked from the waist down on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you Winnie the Pooh. later later Boots, boots. I want some red boots. 
Scoots and boots. <laughs> I do. I, you know, I went to um, country line dancing class once, so um, I could maybe reprise this role. <laughs> what was country line dancing for you like? It was very discombobulated. I did the boot scoot and boogie. Do you know that song? Uh, man, I wish this were a video podcast. I may podcast. be white, but I'm not that white, Lara Bricker. <laughs> Ken and I ended up once by accident. We thought we were going to ballroom dancing class at the local Rockingham ballroom place. And we got there and it was like advanced line dancing. And we're like, what the fuck is this? And so we're just like going along. And some lady goes, you know, the beginner's class was at seven o'clock. Oh. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to get some more bad box wine and just say whatever. Toby, what about you? What's your line dancing career look like? <laughs> about the same as my pro basketball career. Mm. Just didn't yeah. get off the ground. Toby, do your cats, uh, do they kill birds and eat them or just go for chipmunks? Uh, it's mostly ground mammals. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's chipmunks and squirrels. Ground mammals. As yeah. opposed to dolphins. I, I, heard like, I heard like some yowling. And I went outside, and like Olaf had one of our neighbor's cats on its back. It was ah. like up, basically on top of it, like looking down at it with his like paw out. Wow! And I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And then I like surprised him. He looked over, and the other cat like rolled out and like took off. Yikes! But um, he was screaming, well, "Tap out, bitch!" Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, ready? Yeah. I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm and- Kevin Flynn. <laughs> Oh, damn it. That's not how it goes. It's like the other podcast we just did. (laughs) I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about serial, true crime, pop culture. And this week, (laughs) you forgot to write this part. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) This week, there's a big gap. Okay, let's do it again. I'll make it up on the fly, okay? Partners Partners in in Crime crime media. Media.